0: was not caught though many tried. i live among you well disguised
1: This is Special Agent Hamilton uh, reporting into Desk Sergeant Moselak uh, reporting some thoughts I have on uh, the missing woman the uh, sister of the woman in the foreclosed house have we seen her yet? It's very possible that she is one of the uh, I, I th- thought that she was uh Uh, Taylor Kitsch's girlfriend, but I don't think that's the case. I think that she is one of the girls in the bar at the end that Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn were uh, hanging out in. Who knows? Uh, One of them had a scar over her face that they uh, focused on for a while. I think she's going to be important a little bit later, but I do think that uh, one of those girls, either the uh, waitress there or the woman running the bar that tells her to clean up the glasses later at the very end of the episode, I think one of them is the woman in the foreclosed house's missing sister. What do you think?
0: Agent Hamilton it's good to hear from you again Uh, knowing some things that I know now I'm not so sure about the girl with the scar on her face though I think she does have some pretty interested feelings for Ray I don't know how long Ray's got on this world So we're going to have to be careful about who we put lines to. But I do find her very interesting and a person of interest. I also have a sidebar thought. While it was, the evidence had presented itself in such a way that uh, we had three cops and one citizen. It looks as though all four of our perpetrators may be looking for the same guy all in their own ways. The man Casper seems to be the focal point for this investigation. Though who he was connected to and what crow flies is... Another mystery entirely.
1: Welcome back to the True Detective tapes. I am Agent Hamilton, Agent Brian Hamilton, and here across the table with me, at the virtual table, is Sergeant Philip Moselak. How's it going?
0: It's going well. It's it's been a it's been a run rough time. A uh, looking at uh, Vinci, especially.
1: It's, it's been ridiculous, uh, especially this week. In uh, Season 2, Episode 2 of True Detective, uh, which is entitled, Night Finds You. I wonder who Night found? I guess we'll find out at the end of the episode.
0: <laughs> Indeed.
1: So, we start off this episode with uh, a really gripping scene with Vince Vaughn in bed with his, uh, I don't, I don't want to say wife, but uh, girlfriend, Beau, uh, have we
0: confirmed who this person is yet? We haven't, and I can't figure out where I've seen her from. She looks so familiar, doesn't she? She's one of those people
1: that... Like, True Detective is great about getting little character actors like this and always finding the perfect person for the role, but I don't know. Uh, I have not figured out who this person is yet.
0: I, I would say she's one of the... She seemed to be kind of working for him in some capacity, so it's kind of built on that. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's like because she's there last episode at least in the office uh giving what I think was the worst line performance of last episode when she says contractors or something like that when the way she just says contractors was awful but in this episode when uh they're lying in bed together talking about Vince Vaughn's childhood
0: I thought and yeah and the things that she's never known about him
1: right like you can see they're still coming closer together Uh, I feel like if they were anything more than, say, a casual relationship, this probably would have come up already before. This is the transition from something casual to something more serious, it looks like.
0: Well, and funny you mention that because really, um, Frank, because now Vince has a character, um, (laughs) you know, and he seems to be this ex kind of um, enforcer bad guy who's actually trying to go legit and you know he doesn't know what he wanted to do with his money he says Um, but it seems like there's something in him that wants to go legit Mm -hmm.
1: yeah he's got he's now that Casper's gone as we saw in the beginning or the end of last episode he's in deep in something he doesn't want to be in he made some corrupt deals in the past it looks like but I think at this point he's either trying to save face or just trying to get out, and i don 't know if that means he's going to stop being as corrupt as he's been or if that means he's going to be you know more corrupt just to get out of the corruption he 's in right now with the police
0: well, it seems like and this is one of those uh, things that you just you look at as a backward um, the setting itself of Vinci seems to be a character and it's a city that's owed something that also does dirty work it it produces the most toxic waste um it probably california hates it um but this little town uh is kind of so uh how should i say like they're they everybody's on the take in some capacity whether it be the chief of police and everyone else um so corruption is all throughout the city
1: Yeah, we get this really wonderful montage a little bit later of uh, statistics and the things that Vinci does and the people who were there. And it's like, I thought that scene was a little weird where they say, this is Vinci. It's had a 70% increase in blah, 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 year over year. It was like, okay. And Vinci, so this is something I wanted to bring up last week, but now is as good a time as any. This show does a great job of making industrial California look bleak and creepy in the same way that it made the... uh, uh, Louisiana Bayou area looked really depressing and bleak last season. And I think it has the same DNA, but it's different. And that's what True Detective is season over season so far. Same DNA, but different.
0: And and still, these towns are somewhat corrupted. They're not, you know, they're they're a big hodgepodge, as any city is. But they all have this, you know, kind of black line that runs through them.
1: Yeah, it's like the... You know, digestive tract of a crawfish as you're eating it uh, after it's been Cajun roasted is the image I thought of just now. And I think that, you know, we see a lot of stuff with the police being corrupt and trying to cover their butts about the things that uh, they've been held accountable for. The way that uh, Taylor Kitsch's character last week uh, was suspended for a false allegation of sexual activity on the job that kind of stuff shows – they all know something is corrupt. And they need to cover their own butts so that they know not to you know, get involved in it later.
0: Well, and that brings up a great point just going straight into our, for our four characters. They all have their, – their flashbacks um, this week were basically what is it that you're – the agenda of what you're supposed to do versus what you are doing. So everybody has a back end, if you will.
1: <laughs> back end. No, you're right. They um they've got we we were talking last week about all of the stuff that uh, you know, we were wondering why all three of them were there at the end to set up like a big cool uh scene where they're all looking at each other uh very uh very skeptically. And this episode answered that. We get to see why they're there and with we, we get a little bit of the talks, uh uh, from all of their superiors a little bit later about how each of them has a certain role to play in the case. Okay. You're going to be playing second fiddle to uh, Vinci detective, but you're going to be there doing something for us because of how Casper was a missing person in our jurisdiction, things like that. And we finally get those answers this episode.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, though I really actually kind of am sympathetic towards, um, Frank, uh, it seems like he got the raw end of a deal because Casper did not invest his money the way he thought he did, so he was out five million. Mm-hmm. I think it was five million, and but it was that something became like a that, yeah. yeah but, and so he was offered another deal, but in order to get that deal, he, instead of seven, it's got to be ten million. Um, and Frank says something very interesting. You know, you can't round off zero. So you, you know, <laughs> I got to put off. I got to put up something, and that kind of puts him down the line later in a really pretty dope um, scene. A little campy. I felt it was like I was seeing like the Vince Vaughn I really like when he's halfway sarcastic, mm-hmm. and he braces up on that bookie after his two thugs go after him, and he talks in these real vague terms. But you know, I mean, if you're even close to up to speed, you know that he's telling this guy, hey, maybe you should watch it. Maybe you shouldn't do these things. The poker club is not for you.
1: Oh, I thought that scene was great, the way that uh, his thugs rear-end him and then pepper-spray him and Vince Vaughn gets to swoop in and look like the good guy, but then he threatens him even more, like, really subtly in a way that he can't actually go after him, but I thought that was a really great scene, too. But you're right, so Vince Vaughn's arc this episode, at the very least, is... To try to figure out and scrounge up the money that he lost in this deal because Casper, you're right, he did not invest the money, he did not purchase the property needed to get this rail line all through California up and running. And so my problem with this episode was that his arc in this episode doesn't really lend itself to good scenes so it's lots of business negotiations and it's a lot of talk about money this money that did casper invest no it turns out he didn't and the scenes get heated but they don't have like the sharp wit and the good pacing of most other scenes in true detective except for the scene where his thugs rear end that one bookie and he threatens him and i thought that was great but it, none of his other scenes, I think, served as good of a purpose because there was a lot of jargon in there. And I didn't think that was up to true detective standards.
0: Yeah, and especially when he meets with the chief uh, of police. And that chief of police looks like a freaking crack addict. <laughs> L- like, it was just really like, like I don't even know how you're the chief because the way you're fondling this can is ridiculous it was insane no you're right
1: i thought that that scene had its problems but you're right like that character he was so dingy
0: yeah i mean you could almost like just you know smell that skin it was just ugh, ugh.
1: all right um so we talked about vaughn's arc he comes back a little bit later in the episode for a really great scene with vakoro but we'll get to that in a bit um Right now, I want to bring up what I think is the weirdest editing that True Detective has ever done. The weird parallel editing that it did where Casper's autopsy was the anchor for three different flashbacks for the three different characters that were there. What did you think of that?
0: Um, now, are you talking about the graphical match of the stains on the ceiling that go to Casper? No, no, no. I'm talking about
1: his autopsy. Uh, so right, we didn't talk too much about uh, Vaughn's really great character moments in the beginning. But what I'm talking about is where uh, the three main detectives are in the room uh, with the or That's not a word. The, um, gotcha. Mortician. And we keep
0: going back, and we keep on finding out well, whose agenda is what, and they keep leading back to the center point. That moment of time where they are getting the information at the um, at the at the morgue.
1: Right, right, exactly, and last season we got a very similar scene where uh we see Dora Lang's body uh being autopsied, and we get all these really great little details. Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey are dark and like morose, and it's a wonderful scene, but I feel like in this it just felt like a paint by numbers talk about the stuff that happens uh with uh with casper and it it was a pretty graphic autopsy. We learned that uh he had amphetamines in his body that he i guess had gonorrhea um that they had um how do i put this lightly removed his genitalia and uh a bunch of other horrible things that happened to him uh but yeah everyone gets their own little flashback and it all comes back to that scene where they reveal their uh, motivations and what they're doing there
0: it was a little oddly constructed Mm -hmm. and again i think they're falling into a trap where maybe they've got to push so much storyline so fast. And, you know, based on, it was funny, Agent Sindelar uh, had a little bit of trouble keeping up with last episode. So I'm going to be curious to see how that transpires for him. Yeah, it it felt a little weird. It was almost like it could have been like so choice and like something I've never seen quite like it. But for some reason, it just didn't work the way it needed to work. It it became very, very hard to match where I was at what time.
1: Agreed. Uh, Especially, you're right, they have so much stuff they need to cover. And I'll be curious, I I mentioned this on the Game of Thrones podcast as well, this is the only time in history where True Detective Season 2 will have existed, but we don't get to watch all of it at once. So I'm... I'm excited to see where the season goes after they cram all of this stuff into the first two episodes because uh the rest of the season could really benefit from having all this exposition in two episodes and then spend say six episodes doing something really cool and unique. who knows we're not there yet, but I guess we'll find out soon enough um but yeah, so far this season we get a lot of stuff uh with. Vaughn, uh, with, uh, Frank, thank you, trying to get the character names in my head, um... There we go, there we go. ...where, uh, he's trying to recover his lost money, and then the other three detectives trying to piece together, uh, information about Casper.
0: Yeah, and, see, Frank is also on the trail of Casper in his own kind of little private investigation, which I found kind of interesting, because, like, based on last week, um... You know, I separated out three cops from Frank, but they're all kind of working together at the same goal.
1: No, certainly. You mentioned this in your uh, tape to me earlier today. There was a lot of stuff in there where they have to uh, – they are working together but from different vantage points. One, uh, A few of them are going strictly by the law, very strictly in McAdams' case, and one of them is going very outside of the law in terms of Frank's uh, situation.
0: And it seems like McAdams and Ray – Seemed to be paired up, which I thought was a pretty interesting pair up. And then, um, father exposition kind of walked <laughs> in on their scene and what, well, I forget what she said exactly, but like, just tell me the truth, you know, what are you kind of in this for? You know, what's I, it was in the teaser too. And I can't remember exactly how she phrases it, but basically it's like, okay, so I have my own like agenda you have yours uh how are you gonna are, are you who who am i working with because i kind of like working with you at least that's what it seemed and then all of a sudden it kind of without saying anything he ray kind of spills the beans to her
1: mm-hmm. now that was a really great little non moment where uh she asks how compromised are you and he's so that's compromised he can't is. speak <laughs> Uh that was a good scene i mean at, at this point, uh, the two of them are paired up, and they find out a few things they go to casper's uh what what was that like a therapist's office a clinic oh, uh, there was a few- and
0: i'll give here's the here's the big the big moment who played the therapist Oh, you might be a little God. bit young uh, mm. <laughs> all right uh nope, nope, I got nothing. All right, here's where the old guy comes comes into power. <laughs> it was Rick Springfield and it was so disturbing. Like, you know, I've seen Rick Springfield on like some of the Dave Grohl uh documentaries for Sound City and he looked a little weird then, like a little bit too much surgery, but they really went above and beyond to make him look super creepy.
1: Oh, I'm rewatching this. I did not catch that that was Rick Springfield. I mm, wow. Oh my god. Good good eye. yes, I don't know if you're right, maybe I'm just too young, but
0: well, it might be. But you know, the thing is, I almost didn't recognize him at first because they had him looking so kind of crypto. And that look that he gives when they're giving when they're just kind of talking in vagaries about Casper. Did you notice and maybe I'm I'm guessing this is where the eye line was supposed to go, to that uh, geode with the kind of vaginal look to it.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I did. There's so much like little symbolic things that are thrown into the show like that. And it's really kind of disturbing the way that they throw those little details in so that you notice like out of the corner of your eye, but not something that you overtly see. And that's definitely one of those things.
0: And he's able to bring out some information on McAdams' past at the very end. And I thought that was like pretty interesting that, you know, she was the one of five girls that has, well, kind of made something of themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. The way that she says two of them are uh, in prison, one, uh, two of them committed suicide. Well, what about the fifth? She became a detective. I love that line. It was cheesy as hell, but I loved it.
0: Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, it was just one of those things that you got. Um, a little bit of backstory about this whole good people thing, which really sounds kind of creepo, too. hmm And somehow he knows her father.
1: Well, I think that, yeah, she, uh, he knows him through, I guess, their similar circle of, like, mental work and the stuff that they do for that community. Uh, I, I feel like his her father is uh, a little bit of a celebrity in that circle.
0: It, it seems like it. I mean, like he was kind of like in the first episode, well, I don't come here as much as I, I'd like to, and I only come here, like, what, once or twice a month.
1: Mm-hmm. No, uh, so we learned from that scene that um, he was, like, sexually obsessed is what the uh, therapist says, but not aggressive, more passive. So... He has – no, the stuff in his apartment really aligns with this, the weird uh, woman in the milk, the really horrific M.C. Escher kind of pornographic painting, all of those things. We see a lot – like, it makes a lot of sense that he would be not aggressive. There's not, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey kind of stuff in there, but he's fascinated sexually. And hopefully we explore a little bit more of this later on because I think this is where the show really is starting to tip its hand in how – weird and depraved it can get um especially because you know last season was really perverse and this season has potential to be there we see some of that at the very end which we'll talk about but i feel like a lot of uh a lot of that is going to be through casper's kind of um you know secondhand accounts of who he is and what he did and coming from his therapist that really means a lot
0: more uh flop house stupid perversions
1: <laughs> exactly Uh, what else we had, um, uh, they, well, that's
0: when I think, don't we go from there to Ray going to solve his case at apparently like a strip club or whorehouse type place that he owns or did own?
1: Yeah, I don't understand what he was doing there, but it looks like it was another kind of meeting with, uh, one of his other associates, um, whether or not he was associated with the club is uh, outside of that. But I do think – like the main purpose of the scene was to figure out if any of the girls there had seen Casper, right? I,
0: yeah, I think he did own it at one point. And again, in his role to be a legitimate businessman, he's he may get money from that, but he has that other guy actually doing the day-to-day running.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's definitely what it seems like he's doing um, because they're so in cahoots that there's no way that money, could be, uh, uh, money couldn't be money could be trading hands. And I feel like uh, the only other option is that Vince frequents him as well for clients, but I don't think that's the case because he, he just doesn't seem like the kind of person that would spend money on prostitutes.
0: Right. Again, he doesn't know what to do with his money.
1: Exactly, exactly. He's so, like— uh, he has this really great house. He's spending $3 million on a whim in a way. He says, you know, uh, like $3 means nothing to me at this point. I just need the money back. And um, he has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it.
0: And then so he gets the word that there's a, a place in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then we have a conversation with Ray and Frank at Frank's uh, favorite bar.
1: With our favorite guitarist girl.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: I was really hoping it would almost be like a recurring segment at the end of the show, like uh, letters from listeners, where um, they just kind of show up at the the bar at the end of every episode to discuss what's happened and figure out what's next, and there'd be another song from that guitarist girl every episode. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, <laughs> for various reasons.
0: Yeah, I'm a little—it I oh, it did jar me, because I was like, man, is the episode over already? <laughs> and—
1: Let's talk about the bar scene first. We have um, uh, Casper with his second house in Hollywood that they talk about, and um, uh, his next assignment for uh, Vacoro is to go there and figure out what's up. And uh, throughout the scene, my favorite thing about this was where – uh, Frank is setting up new positions for Vicoro to like move him up like yeah you could uh have a promotion you could be chief inspector or whatever the title was you could be chief inspector uh by the end of next year isn't that what you want right I'm lining these things up for you here come on like he's he's setting up favors for him to call later and I feel like that's so indicative of, of uh Frank because he is one of those guys that needs friends the only way this kind of corruption works is if you have a network of people like that and he's trying to well frank is or er, frank uh Vicoro's already one of them but he's trying to make him even more so by giving him all of these uh advantages and giving him reasons to not leave frank uh we'll find out later whether or not that's the case but he's one of those people that will build favors for himself to call on later for other people
0: well and it it seems like, well, Ray kind of gets a little little froggy mm-hmm. and wants to kind of back away. And they're both like, the, like here comes uh, Frank, he has to get more invested into the dirty dealings, and here Ray kind of is trying to back off and be a cop.
1: Exactly. His livelihood depends on one of them, and it's not Vince Vaughn, let me tell you. Uh, No, the only real relationship that Frank has is with Focoro, because, you know, neither of them wanted to be there, but they're far too deep in it. Like, the way each of these two bar scenes opens up is uh, long-lingering shots of both of them looking ominous and upset, and, like, something big is about to go down. And then their conversations, given all that buildup, are so stilted, and... You know, one line here, two line here, drinking between each line. There's so much that they don't want to be doing uh, there at that bar. And I feel like they need to because the only real relationships they have there are each other. And they're stuck in it for a myriad of
0: reasons. And we finish out the scene with the scarred girl who obviously has some sort of feelings for uh, Ray.
1: What did you think of that? I still don't know what to make of this whole little vacation dialogue.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> I think that was simply her way of trying to say, "Hey, I would like to spend time with you. I I like you." And he she was just trying to get something from him. Mm-hmm. Um and he and he was pretty sobered up, you know. He wasn't, you know, f- you know, kind of just completely obliterated and it was like well, let me have a moment with you. I'll, let me sit down and talk to you um, as a person, rather than as uh, you know, a, my as a bartender, as as a waitress.
1: No, certainly, there's uh, something there that I, I don't quite understand how what she sees in him, or if she's maybe on someone else's team trying to get something from him, the way that uh, she wants to take him on a vacation and show. Uh, show him her hometown or something like that that was bizarre i
0: i I think she sees that that you know she's you know broken on the outside and she can see that he's broken on the inside and 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 externally (sighs) um and so maybe it's like you know i just maybe we can get together and and fix each other
1: form a whole normal person Maybe. Exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so from here, we end up uh, following Frank on his assignment over to the Hollywood house where uh, Casper is uh, uh, Casper's other house that nobody knew about. So why don't you uh, start us off? What happens as he pulls up?
0: <laughs> um, let me try and think about this because I'm, I'm having a I, – I know what I saw. Mm-hmm at the end and that over 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 kind of shadowed what i saw coming in
1: exactly i feel like with this episode because it ended with such a big thing everything else in the episode is kind of muddied
0: yeah okay he walks in oh come on think about this for a second (laughs) give me give me a hint
1: all right so he walks in he's checking out the other house and my favorite thing about first of all this whole exchange and uh, Vakoro's whole character is that he alternates between police and vigilante so well so he's supposed to be there on police duty because he's a cop and he's you know fighting for that side but when he's there on ray or on Frank's assignments he uh, is creepy. He is very stealthy. He he uh, picks the lock and gets in, and he's uh, trying to be as stealthy as possible. And you could see this wasn't the kind of, you know, battering ram the door, down, pull out your guns, FBI, freeze! And we don't get that. We get very covert, very stealthy, very... Uh, he knows he's doing something illegal. Uh, and he goes in, and we, it, it's a nice enough house. And he... Uh, yeah, walking. but there's
0: some weird stuff in there, and that's what I'm trying to remember.
1: We get, like, mm, well, the weirdest thing to me is the music, and if we get calm music like that, I feel like that's a calling card of something horrible happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what it was mm-hmm. that threw me. It was the um, sound baffles on the walls. Yes. Oh my god,
1: I that was the one thing that really sent tingles down my spine.
0: <laughs> right, because that basically means that I'm doing stuff in here that I do not want the other, the outside world to even get wind of. Mm-hmm. And he's got a house way away from where he does... Well, I mean, that house is almost tame, except Ray walks into what I think is the bathroom and... It looked like like a jacuzzi kind of jet thing, but mm-hmm. the way he looks at it, I, I, it feels like was that something big time dirty that I'm not aware of.
1: Uh, I, the way he looks in that room, I feel like he's just kind of walking around and seeing things that you know. It's a house. He's trying to piece things together. He knows this is Casper's place, so he's expecting something weird. Maybe he's just skeptical of everything, but. What really got me, or one of the other things that got me, was a video camera, just a room with a video camera in it pointed at the wall. Like, it's there for a purpose. People come in there all the time to be filmed for one purpose or another, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's there. And you look at it and you think, what the heck is going on? And it's not—so Casper's main house is weird enough with all the stuff that he has, but this looks like a place that is indicative of the stuff that he does. Not necessarily a person. Right. Who he is, but it's creepy enough that you think, "What does this person do that he wants to? I don't have dead? to
0: show it off here because I can be it here." hmm
1: No, it's uh, that same kind of creepiness that it's not the silence of the lamb's inner sanctum. It's you know subtle enough that you can be whoever you want to be, because nobody knows about this place.
0: Right. And, he, and he, in fact, he brings people there, or a girl. That we know of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, it, it just bad news city.
1: Exactly. Uh, the other thing before the big final moments of the episode is uh, a whole rack of masks. Um, <laughs> as soon as I saw one of them missing, I knew it would be the crow. Because, you know, everything else is there. And I, I watched it with a whole bunch of friends. And one of us said, one of them is missing. And then in unison, the other five of us said, the crow. It was, it was like Blue's Clues almost. But the thing is, it, you're there and you see this missing mask. And my favorite thing about True Detective is that it doesn't underestimate its audience. And it knows that the crow is going to be the first thing you think of. And sure enough, a person wearing a crow mask walks up.
0: All right, so i 'm thinking right now, and i didn't even go down this path yet, but i 'm going to put on my investigator hat for just one moment. All right. what is the symboling symbology symbolism of the crow
1: My take is it that it has something to do with um I always get this guy mixed up with Sisyphus, who rolled the rock up and down the mountain, but it's the guy that was chained to the mountain with the raven that comes and picks out his liver every day. What was his name?
0: Yeah. Mm, You're not big on
1: mythology either. Yeah. I
0: can't think. I just can't think of that guy, but I can think of the image.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's one of those really big symbolic images, and I think it has something to do with that. I was half expecting in the uh, autopsy to say that his uh, liver was pulled out. (laughs)
0: <clears throat> or he had crow feathers in his throat.
1: Yeah, like something weirder than that. But I feel like that's a bit too overt for True Detective.
0: Okay. I did a quick search mm-hmm. at spiritanimal.info. Oh. Is the first one that came up. hmm The crow is a spirit animal associated with life, mysteries, and magic. The power of this bird as a totem and spirit guide is to provide insight and means of supporting intentions. Sign of luck. It is also associated uh, with the archetype of trickster. Be aware of deceiving appearances. Uh, If the crow has chosen you as your spirit totem animal, it supports you in developing the power of sight, transformation, and connection with life's magic. Huh.
1: That's interesting. I, that, I feel like that's a much more positive connotation to the uh, the idea of a crow than most uh, pop culture would have you believe. But that's really interesting. Trickster. Huh. So
0: well, and, who do you and think is a trickster it, in this case? I'm, of what I've seen, I, I don't think we've seen this person yet unless I go way off reservation and say that it's – um. Uh, Rachel McAdams' father. I mean, just because why show him in the beginning? You know, obviously, something's going to transpire further with him. Hmm. Could he be connected? And he showed a totem at his place. Yeah. I mean, it just... The big totem, yes! You see, that's where I'm going with totems, and and I have to wonder. And he said something about that, the totems protect.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. If the totem protects, what from? Is it Casper and his corruption? I wonder if the uh if Rachel McAdams' father knew Casper in a way because if he's known in that circle as the same circle as Casper's therapist, they might have all three done something or Rachel McAdams' father might know something about Casper that nobody else did.
0: And I also when I think about birds, like and especially our our boy Casper, you know, dead bodies, birds plucking out eyeballs.
1: Oh, uh, mm, yes. That I had drawn some conclusions based on the eyes. I was thinking something along the lines of like symbolic blindness or justice is blind or something like that. I never would have put those two things together. That's brilliant, Mose. Great job.
0: <laughs> well, to be to be a detective, you have to have one foot in the darkness.
1: And then darkness touches you back.
0: Right. And so you, 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 there's, a, there's a line that that you have to become uh, comfortable with riding. So I have to think like a psychopath to get the psychopath.
1: Indeed. Well, I'm glad you're here so that you can uh, have some of those psychopathic tendencies bring them to the show.
0: Uh- you know, we didn't talk about Paul.
1: Oh, we didn't. That's right. We didn't mention him at all. Uh, What else? He has a scene with his mother? Is that his mother?
0: Yeah, yeah. That was really weird.
1: That was uncomfortable, (laughs) to say the least.
0: Yeah, I I just... And and then he breaks up with his girlfriend. But the one thing we do kind of get to know is that obviously he was with some sort of uh, paramilitary um, private army situation in the mm-hmm. middle east
1: right right we get like little glimpses of his past where uh they say things like oh is this from your time in the army knows from before or uh when he was over in the middle east uh, we get little glimpses of that as he goes and i'm wondering given how fast all the other plots are moving his is going the slowest does that mean that he's going to be the last person standing so we get more of his uh Life experiences and pers- uh, perspective. In the end, uh, well, he
0: doesn't want he doesn't want spotlight because he doesn't want to. Even though he's going to be working as an investigator, he says, "Well, afterwards, can I just go and ride my bike?"
1: <laughs> it's like it's like a eight year old kid asking uh, his mom after dinner if he can go uh, ride his bike. But hey, turns out he has some weirder issues with his mother than we thought. So that's very possible.
0: I don't know. I just there's something there's something obviously he is very uh something is torn out of him and he's got no um ambition to really kind of do stuff and that's where I think maybe like his like turning point will happen where he takes some authority on his own life.
1: Exactly. Uh the way that he left his girlfriend's apartment uh when Th- that conversation was very reductive and simple and repetitive, but it ended with a lot of, this isn't me, this is you, this is your fault, this was your decision. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in him about passing the blame and making sure that um, that he is not at fault for the things he does, which leads me to believe that something happened in Iraq or the Middle East that makes him doubt what he's responsible for in life.
0: Ah, I think I think you're onto something. <laughs> I think I think you're getting into his head. Mm,
1: definitely, you need a uh, adrenaline junkie to understand adrenaline junkie. I love roller coasters. Well,
0: and he, <laughs> he can't. Eat, well, think about this. You know, he can't even fulfill the act of killing himself. You know, he he was almost there, and then in some ways you could say, yeah, he chickened out. You know, or he kind of that should have been a like a gotcha moment, but I think. Those type of moments have been uh, repetitive in his life, where I'm trying to do the right thing, or I'm trying to do this particular thing, but it, I'll get 99% there, and but I fail. At least in my mind, I failed.
1: He seems like the kind of guy that would want to do the right thing, but once he like sets out to do the true north, perfect, 100% right thing, he realizes a flaw in the plan. And isn't able to carry it through because the world is not that black and white as he and Rachel McAdams would like to think.
0: Right. And it seems like he should know that already, but for some reason, just being on the bike is enough and, you know, doing parking tickets and traffic stops.
1: Exactly. I feel like at some point his arc is going to turn into that where he realizes either what he is to the world or what the world is to him and something there has got to give.
0: I do have one of the greatest quotes of this, the, this, uh, this particular episode. Like, my first one was, you can't round zero. But <laughs> really, it's when, it's when Ray says to his wife, um, he, he, I believe that a good beating promotes uh, personal growth.
1: <laughs> that line got huge laugh. When I watched it, yeah, we didn't talk about that scene at all either. Jeez, that's the thing. If you end on a big cliffhanger like this, you're going to want to jump straight there and forget everything else. Um, so he meets with his uh, wife outside of, uh, I guess, her office or the school or uh, courthouse. Where was that that they, uh, that they met that he expected the son to be there but wasn't?
0: I, you know, it looked like it was a public place yeah. where they usually do an exchange.
1: No, exactly. There's got to be something there where, you know, that's what the conversation's about. She admits that he, that she's uncomfortable with having him in their son's life. And there's something there that, you know, for one, she's definitely right where he did some horrible things. And uh, there's no doubt that he's probably a negative influence on his son. But in uh, in Vakoro's the arc, there's... He wants to be there for his son, and again, he's trying to do the right thing but failing in his implementation. He, You can't verbally abuse a kid about his shoes and expect that the outcome is going to be positive. You can't beat up some other kid for your son and expect the outcome is going to be positive. Uh, I, I expected this from the get-go, and I – I'm glad it's happening now so that we can focus on other things in his storyline, if it continues. Uh, I'm glad that we can focus on other things in his storyline outside of this. But I do think that this was an important scene for uh, both of those characters.
0: Well, and let's just go ahead and say it, that what overshadowed everything was him getting shot, not once, but twice, at pretty close range with a shotgun, uh, the same way that uh, Casper got killed
1: by the man in the uh, raven mask you're right right um, and and so I, can he be dead i mean really so okay i did not expect true detective to do this i was completely 100% under the suspicion that all four of these characters the main characters would be with us the entire season uh true detective is all about subverting those expectations with big shifts in tone and time and things like that This might be the calling card for one of those big shifts. I feel like if the uh, focus of the show changes completely from Colin Farrell uh, and his character and his problems with his son to uh, figuring out, oh God, something really big is happening now that a cop has been murdered, what's going to happen? We only have a week to not know this, but I feel like the biggest part of uh, this is that... We spent so much time with uh, Vakoro and his family and his problems, and I'm torn between feeling, um, like, surprised that they spent this much time on him and killed off a major character, or or upset that they wasted so much time on a character that we're not going to be able to see for the last six episodes. That said, I've heard rumors and seen analysis that he was probably—he might have been shot with a blank.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: What do you think? Do you think he could have been shot with a blank? Does that seem like something <clears throat> True Detective would do? I,
0: but how do you pl- – I like – I, I just <laughs> think that would be like really lame, I number know, one. Right? Um right? I could see – let's take Ray out of the equation, put him in the hospital for a bit, and then we can let other things happen that, you know, that way Frank does not have his enforcer. Um, and he doesn't have her partner. And maybe Paul can rise up a little bit. I don't know, but ha- you know, what's going to make me really upset is if he's in the hospital for one episode, then fourth episode he's out of the hospital. I mean, come on. It's a shotgun.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think they would do something like this where they do something this huge at the end of an episode, end it, and then just do it for the sake of putting a character on a hot plate for a few episodes. I feel like this is something... I I hope at least, and I feel weird for saying that I hope this character is dead, but I hope for the sake of the plot and the um and the pacing of the show that uh he's gone and that they're not just pulling our legs in a really cheap way.
0: And the other thing is you're in a soundproofing or or sound resistant, let's say, mm-hmm. uh area. So it's not like somebody's gonna hear it and call the police. So I mean there's a bunch of you know holes that can occur that i'm not comfortable with
1: no certainly uh the big analysis that i saw was that there would be much more mess if it was a real shotgun there would probably be a hole in his chest there would probably be something there and we see some like debris for the lack of a better word but someone pointed out that there would be much more gore if there was a shotgun at that close range but who knows i mean i'm 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 hoping that people are just grasping at straws and that he's actually dead for the sake of the pacing and the plot but and from here, what I'm expecting is that the son and the stepmother have bigger roles in maybe trying to piece together this investigation. Maybe there's something else in Vacoro's past that, like Casper, will only get through second and third hand accounts that play into the bigger story and the larger corruption in the city of Vinci. I don't know. But I, I, I'm hoping like out of all those scenarios that he's just not in a coma for two episodes or something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's interesting. That the idea that it could open up um, his death kind of opens up a, a whole nother can of worms. And that third hand, I it could be good, but honestly, I he's not dead. Let's let's um, let's just put it down. He's not going to be dead.
1: I I I don't know. I'm hoping not because it seems like True Detective. Like, as an entity, wouldn't do that. Wouldn't just kill somebody off and then bring them back. They're not that cheap. But I do think that they've spent too much time—maybe this is just part of the fake-out, but I think they've spent too much time marketing Colin Farrell as a part of the show to um, pull him out. I mean, that's what people do. They, like, bill a major character in a movie or something and then kill them off after a few minutes. I would name some examples, but I don't want to spoil anything for anyone that hasn't seen them. But, you know, there are movies that do this, where they bill a big character and then kill them off almost immediately for the sake of, oh, God, what's going to happen the rest of the movie?
0: Now, I know that Tim Goodman from uh, The Hollywood Reporter did pan the first three episodes. And so I have to wonder, is this a part of him not liking it? It'll be a curious thing to find out. Indeed. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. Lots of people
1: don't like this season uh, for various reasons, and I can totally understand that, because the first season was so good, and I don't think there's any way that uh, this season could live up to it. On the other hand, I do think the acting is much more like quote-unquote acting, with a lot more like... Character beats and moments that felt seamless last year, uh, with Mac- Matthew McConaughey just kind of rambling on for hours and hours about life and time as a flight circle and making beer can figurines and all of that oh, stuff was so good. So good. I just want to watch it again, but all of that felt seamless. I feel like a lot of the acting in this season is much bigger and more uh problematic in a way i did not like farrell's performance with his wife outside of that public place we were talking about i think that the way that he dealt with her saying no no i do not want you to have visitation rights i want or uh i I want full custody i think the way he reacted to that was like very wimpy in a way that we've seen he's not so things like wait what no you 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 can't do this there's like no facial expression on his face yeah but he freaked out with shoes
0: Right. And it's it's like he explodes for all the wrong at the wrong time for the wrong reason.
1: No, certainly. Uh the problem there and again some of Vince Vaughn's stuff, I feel like he is the weakest part of the show, even though he's trying to be the dark, ominous, mysterious character. Um I felt like his performance at the very beginning of this episode with his father and the rats in the basement was very good. Uh, but it's it, a lot of the other stuff that he does and his line delivery is nowhere near as good as any of the stuff in uh, season one. Uh, aside from that, the criticisms of the show, I'm still just glad True Detective is back, if not in, you know, like 100% pure form, then at least in the DNA where we get dark, dingy detectives and really, like, cool plot developments and stuff you don't expect to happen and flawed characters. At least that is back in my mind. We're not getting Rust and Cole but we're getting something Absolutely.
0: different. We're we're in it for a ride.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh what else? Uh who do you think the episode's called uh Night Finds You? Who do you think the knight found? I'm pretty sure it's the uh, it's Vicoro, but do you have any other interpretation?
0: Well, I mean you well, now wait a minute. <laughs> There's one other par- part of this that we haven't night kind of finds in a sense ray um for sure like that's an on the nose kind mm-hmm. um but Rachel McAdams uh starts to get going down the uh dirty depths of uh looking at the online porn
1: I completely forgot about that that scene bothered me
0: I I don't know where it's going I don't know what you're trying to show me because I thought she's looking for her sister That's what I thought too yeah but but I don't think that that's what it was in, intended and like That she has, you know, she's got kind of maybe some lesbian feelings or something. I don't know, but it didn't, something wasn't clicking uh, definitively of what I should have seen there.
1: Exactly. True Detective is usually, if not overt and on the nose, then at least a bit more, uh, they let the audience put two and two together in a much better way than this scene allowed us to. And... Like, what's so horrible about porn? That's not a horrible character trait that deserves the big, ominous music that it got. Uh, given Casper and his tendencies, I feel like this Rachel McAdams scene was relatively mild in in terms of what they showed versus how they showed it. Uh, I, I'm sure this is going somewhere interesting for her character, I hope, but the way that they showed it did not gel with me.
0: Yeah, it, they just—it was like so heavy-handed, but I don't know what you're being heavy-handed about. Mm-hmm. Is it is it she's searching or is it that she's looking? And those are two different things. But but I can't tell what that is. Me neither. Me neither. Um,
1: yeah, there was another thing. Like I think it was the scene after where um, Taylor Kitsch is looking out um, on the street at some—I I guess they were pride paraders uh what made him so uncomfortable about them
0: again i am i'm totally baffled it's almost like he really doesn't like people or <laughs> or or this will fold into something that happened in the middle east and some sort of thing that happened in that way like you know having big gatherings he's real skittish of
1: mhm no i, I i'm I'm imagining inside his head uh, Lucille from Arrested Development. Michael, look at what the homosexuals did to me. Like it's a I, – I don't understand why that's a character trait he has or why those people made him uncomfortable. Uh, who knows?
0: Well, they all, they're kind of clown-like, and I think we can go ahead and put it out there that you know, we know that the clowns are creepy.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's real. Um, but –
0: I don't know. <laughs> I know they're using, they're, they're using their symbols, but they're not using them in an effective way. And like like Rachel McAdams, you have that tight shot on her eye. Okay, as a visual language, you're telling me she's absorbed in it and she's looking deep into it, not searching. Right. But again, it's real hard, you know, based off the episode prior, how, how to make that connection.
1: Indeed. I, I guess the only thing left to do is just keep watching. Uh, I know I'm at least, if not enjoying it 100%, because I still thought this was a good episode. But even though it's not 100%, I, I'm still invested enough to keep watching and see what's going to happen with the rest of these characters. And I certainly hope you and our listeners are too, because I think this is something new for True Detective. It's only its second season. Hopefully this is more than a sophomore slump, but I hope it just gets better as time goes on.
0: Look, we're in it, we're going to do it, and it, <laughs> it, at the same time, you can overanalyze things. And, you know, you can't, look, com, to compare the two is something we can only do at the end.
1: Indeed, because they're so self-contained I mean, you can compare entire units to each other.
0: And plus, this gives the opportunity for other agents out there to deploy and send us their tapes from the field.
1: Indeed. If you are at all interested in sending us feedback or your own theories or your own opinions about uh, any of this, uh, what you think is going to happen, what you think happened in the past, any of that stuff, uh, please send us an audio file any way you'd like, uh, Dropbox or uh, SoundCloud, any of that. I am at underscore Brian Hamilton on Twitter. Uh, Mose, you are? M-O-Z-E. At most On Twitter. That is very simple. Send it to us any way you'd want, and uh, we will consider including it in the show and uh, including it as a part of our True Detective tapes.
0: It's an important part, and you need to be a part of it.
1: Indeed. Uh, At our camping trips every week, uh, we will review the tapes and uh, be able to incorporate listener feedback and speculation, and we really want you to be a part of it, so... Thank you so much for listening this week and uh, tune in next week for an analysis of episode three and send us your feedback anytime in there and we'll be able to incorporate into the show. Uh, Philip Mose, thank you so much for doing this again.
0: You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. I love it. (laughs) Have a good night. You too. Hello, I'm Anthony Johnston, the host of Unjustly Maligned here on the Incomparable Network, and I've already burned through 15 seconds of the oh-so-precious minute I've been given to tell you about the show. It's all about the sometimes strange things we love that other people, well, don't. Some of the guests defending their tastes in pop culture include Will Wheaton. The uh, original Tron. Lee Alexander. The Twilight Universe. Merlin Mann. The 2009 movie Watchmen. Casey Liss. The Dave Matthews fan. Erica Ensign.
1: Star Wars Episode One:
0: The Phantom Menace. And of course, it wouldn't be an incomparable show without Jason Snell himself poking his nose in. Stargate, SG-1, the science fiction TV series. Plus many, many more. Unjustly Maligned is the show for people who go against the grain. Every Monday, here on The Incomparable. Go to ump.fm to subscribe, and remember, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure.